We started this Family Matter series at the beginning of uh, November, and, and we're actually going to wrap it up. It feels like it's just flown by. We're going to wrap it up next week. But the whole idea that we've been looking at is that encountering the grace and the love of God uh, transforms us. Um, the first week we really looked at how Christ has adopted us into his family and that almost the time where Jesus almost slapped his mom in the, in the face by saying my brothers and sisters are whoever does the will of God and, and, and Christ was giving us a, a better foundation for our families rather than our own motives and mindsets and purposes. He was giving us the purpose of the kingdom as what our family should be centered on and the love and the grace of God. And last week, we really took that next step, looking at love and how transformational the love of God, and you cannot give what you cannot receive. And so in our families, if we're feeling just kind of tension all the time, or just in our daily life, and we don't feel like love is coming out, there's a good chance that it's because no love is coming in from the Father to us, and we've just got to open ourselves up to, to the love of God. And, and so today we're actually, this clip is kind of setting us up for a talk on gratitude. Because gratitude should be motivated not by this idea of performance or repayment to Jesus. Because Jesus paid a price that we can't, we can't repay. And so it shouldn't be motivated by repayment, but rather by gratitude. And our actions should be love towards the Father. So we're going we're gonna to look at that here in a few more minutes. But I think before we, we jump a whole lot into gratitude, I think it's important for us to understand the why. Because many of us are posting throughout the month of November on Facebook, or we're talking about what we are grateful for. But I think the greater thing that we should be answering is, why are we grateful? Why are we grateful? And you may say, well, those may be the same thing, but I think it's different uh, as believers in Jesus and what he did for us. I think our, our platform for gratitude is transformational, in fact. And, and so I want to look in that a little bit. I think a good place for us to start with everything going on in our world is our financial debt as a country. We have, you know, people are talking about our national debt, that it's something that will never be repaid. And so we have this debt as a country financially, which we've borrowed far beyond our means, and we're, we're doing all these, you know, good things, supposedly, and, and, and we're just going further into debt. But the truth of the matter is that starts with us as individuals. 40% of Americans, 40% of the people in this room will spend more than they make this year, and you'll, we'll probably do the same thing next year, and probably the year after that, we go further and further into debt because of our appetite for more. And I think it has a lot to do with how we view what Jesus has done for us that motivates this. Man, we went to the town center last night for the Christmas tree lighting thing, and we sat in traffic. And like, it's not even like Christmas, it's not even like Black Friday, I mean, it's like you know, we're weeks. In fact, they put off fireworks, and we were sitting at dinner with some folks last night, and the fireworks are going off, and we're like, since when has November 16th been a day like we shoot off fireworks, you know? And we're just motivated by this appetite for more, but I think as much as we look at that, that financial debt, we, we got to view that with our spiritual debt to Jesus, that we can't repay what Jesus did for us. We, we, we try, and, and some, many of our, our performance-based spirituality is that today I've got to try to repay Jesus. Today I've got to repay him for all he's done with me. And, and, and that's a fighting battle. You, you begin to move into following the law and the legalism that we're talked about in the New Testament. I don't have time to get into all that today. But ultimately, it, it, it's, a, it's a journey. It, it's a, an approach. It's a perspective in which we'll never win. But when we approach it as I'm going to be grateful 
um, and, and my, my action is love, that, that is what the gospel is about. And so let me break this down in another way for us. Uh, do you see this glass? It's a little bit more than um, half full <laughs> right now, but let me try to get it even there. Yeah, with this, that's close. Is this glass half empty or half full? You've asked this question probably since you were young or you've heard this question asked. Is it half empty or half full? And before we're like, we just want to be really positive. Like, it's half full, man. Day's going great. Let's really look at our lives and what do we really say about this? I mean, what kind of attitude do we live on a daily basis? What kind of perspective do we have in life? What, what, do, what does our appetite say about how we view this? Our appetite for more. Because here's the truth of the matter, it affects, and when the big picture today is not, not just gratitude, but that true gratitude, it births extreme generosity. True gratitude for what Jesus did in a pure perspective births extreme generosity that we saw in the New Testament. And so that's where we're going with this today, but I have to ask you this question, is it half full or half empty? Because our perspective affects our motive, uh, if it's, if it, and it affects our actions in course. So if it's half full, um, and um, we see this as a positive approach, I, I would call that a pure perspective. We looked at this last week, and that we know in part now, but one day we'll know in full. We'll see Jesus face to face. We'll know in full at some point, but right now we just know half. So I think it's still half full. I don't think we've seen a full glimpse of the glory of God, a full glimpse of, of Christ in his fullness, but one day we'll experience that, and that's a joy of a believer is that hope that we cling to. But this half-full perspective, I would call that a pure perspective, that, that grace and the love of God has transformed us, and we now view life with the hope of Jesus. And it allows us to be more generous because we know that God supplies our needs, we know that God takes care of us. But on the other hand, when we have a false perspective, where we have a negative perspective, and we don't value the grace of God, the love of God to the fullest extent that he has loved us, that he has transformed us, and we see this as half empty, then, oh gosh, I only have half left. I can't really give to anyone. You see how it affects our generosity? You see how our perspective affects our motive? We feel like we've got to repay because this is, this is not uh, acu- accurately representative of God's love and grace and, and his provision for us because it's a container that is closed and can only fill so much. But the truth of the matter is that God has filled us, and there's people around us that need the love, they need the grace of God. But there's something about us, there's something about us, not as humans, or not as Americans, but as humans. And I think we're going to look at a text here in Psalm 131 that's going to kind of bring this to light a little more. And as we go through, I think this is all going to make a little more sense. So let's dive in together. And let's look at at Psalm 131, and we see this, this text from David who had had a really just incredible journey, a, a really beautiful journey, ups and downs like all of us, but a really human, beautiful experience with God. God was with him in his brokenness, and, and 70% of the Psalms are lament, are him kind of just expressing his, his heartache to God. But almost every single Psalm that kind of begins in mostly lament, it it has a but moment where it says, but God, you have sustained me. You, your mercy and grace endures forever. There's always a, a but moment. We talked about the negative of that last week, but we're really talking about the positive of that when we transform our perspective. God, all these things are true, but you are true. You are faithful. And he proclaims this thing. And one of the things we see here in Psalm 131, too, is that David, in verse, it's a three-verse psalm. It's pretty short. 
Uh, but just verse 2 is all I want to look at here. Verse 1, he's saying, God, I, I don't need all these things. I don't, I don't wish after all these things of this world. And he says this right here. But I have calmed and I've quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. My wife's breastfeeding our one-month-old right now. And he's got this face after he finishes eating. And it's like, He's got this face that just comes out of naturally. You've had that when you, you know, had like soda when you haven't had it in a long time. It's, you know, guilty pleasure every once in a while to have soda or something. And we have that moment or, you know, root beer float, and it's just like, oh, it's just great. You know, Coke used to, all the soda companies, they have that. That's always in their commercial, that, because there's this idea that you would be satisfied by what you drink. And what what David is, is saying here is that he's weaned off of these things and he's content. I, I want to look at a passage in, in um, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13, very quickly, because I think this takes this idea of contentment in Jesus, that, this, that Jesus is enough, what he has provided for us, we are grateful for it. And we're not desperate for more things to try to fill a void that Jesus has not already filled for us. We're not desperate for more of this world. We're desperate for more of Jesus. We're desperate for what he can provide and what he brings to our life. I think this uh, text, we'll notice one verse in this, but I think the rest of it kind of brings that verse to light. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Uh, Paul is a missionary pastor. He's going around planning churches and he, he needs money to live. And, and so some of this is kind of woven with the fact that he needs money to survive and the congregations that, you know, he hasn't asked for anything, but they're providing things and they, and they take care of him. I, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. He's talking about financially, physically, verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's like, I'm not asking for anything. He's like, and, and here's, the, here's the word I want us to pull out, learned. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Learned. That means it it doesn't come just naturally to us that we will be content in Jesus. We'll be content in our circumstances. Let's finish this. And let me comment a a little bit more on this. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. He's saying, I've been there. I've done that. This is the verse you know. But look at what it's talking about. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We love to quote this verse, like when we're going for a test or an interview. But Paul's talking about like living daily, trusting God. Not like trying to get him through something that, you know, he didn't really study for. He's not really prepared for. Like, God, cover up my junk this time that I didn't take care of. I didn't do my due diligence. No, he's saying that God's provided for me. God has given me strength that whatever the circumstances, whether I'm hungry today or whether I'm sleeping in the Ritz-Carlton, God has provided everything I need. That I'm content in that and we learn it. Because even over in the nursery right now, what's one of the most popular words that a toddler or a baby says uh, after they begin to interact with others in a toy environment is mine. At toddlers, no one taught them to say mine. Parents are doing everything they can to get them to stop saying mine or to say no to them. But there is this something within us that is wanting more and keeping more to ourselves. So it's something we have to learn. And so I don't come this morning to kind of beat up on us about anything of our generosity or our giving, but in fact to point us to the direction on which our motivation for life should be. Not in repayment, but a true, pure perspective, not a false one that will give us false motives, but a true one that will give us pure motives. 
a pure perspective will produce pure motives and allow our hands to be open. We live in this society that is so driven by things. It's like, I just laugh at some commercials now um, that, that are so false advertisement. I heard this one time on an a, a infomercial that says, we couldn't put it on TV if it wasn't true. And it's just like, yeah, you can. You can put whatever you want on TV. But this idea, like, we couldn't put it on TV. There's, there's so many lies that we just believe. Like, oh, I've got to get my kid this. Like, you don't have to get your kid that. Like, I've got to ha- go have this. Like, and I don't think we understand the words that we use and the importance of them. We talked about that a little bit in the, in the word love last week. We don't understand these words. And, and I've, I've just transformed my thinking about that, because I think words matter. There, there's power of life and death in the tongue, and, and moving from the idea of I have to have something, then I, I want something. That makes a, a, a drastic difference. And so what I want us to begin to do as a community is to be able to see through the lies that this world tells us about what we need. Because God will provide for us what we need. Because the more we're convinced that we need all of these things, the more we are convinced that we need all these things of the world, will be less, there'll be less time, there'll be less finances to put towards the kingdom of God. There'll be less time, there'll be less um, you know, energy, there'll be less uh, motivation towards the kingdom of God in the pursuit of, of him. And so I think it's a huge thing. And as we get into this season, like this is the season of thankfulness, right? It's a season of gratitude, and like, it's just amazing how on, on Thursday, uh, on, on Thanksgiving Day, we'll be so grateful, but then Friday, we're ready to claw somebody's eyes out for 10% off or 20% off. Like, what happened to our gratitude yesterday? Who were we? And so I think it's very important for us to kind of take a, a slight turn into looking at our appetite as it, it is um, conversely affected by our spiritual condition and our spiritual contentment in Jesus and the perspective we have for what he did for us. You guys tracking with me this morning? You guys look like you are. You guys look like you're in with me. Um, And and so what I want to do is kind of look at at these flesh, these physical desires, and Paul gave us this contrast of our our spirit and our flesh always at war with one another. another. I may need to drink some of this water. (laughs) Uh, They're always at war with with one another, and so it's important for us to see this battle, or we will retreat to our, our, our same motivations, our same process, our same desires come Friday, Black Friday, or Thursday night if you're wild enough to go out and do that. (laughs) And so let's look at this. First, your flesh appetite is going to convince you to make bad trades. I think one of the best things to kind of put all this in in our mindset about what this looks like is the story of Jacob and Esau. Many of you have heard this story, and it's the two brothers that were born of Isaac um, and Rebecca, for some reason, I wanted to call Sarah, but that was like grandma. Um, so uh, of uh, Isaac and um, my brain is, I've got daddy brain. I keep having to f- apologize for daddy brain. Uh, so uh, Jacob and Esau were two brothers, and there's something that's on the table known as the birthright. And the birthright is given to the eldest son. The old, Where's all my oldest siblings in the room? Awesome, awesome. We would get hooked up with twice as much as everybody else when our parents passed away. 
we'd get twice, we'd get twice as much as everybody else, all the other siblings. So the eldest would receive twice as much. And, and, and so the eldest brother comes into this, and, and he's out, and he's, he's, he's owed the, the birthright. This is something that's societal um, at the time. And he's out one day, and he's a hunter, and he's out a gathering. And his brother, his younger brother, was more of kind of stayed around the house, helped mom. And I, I told him this months back. And, and he, he, he comes in one day, and he's, he's just he's starving. He's got like the Snickers diva thing going on. He comes in and he's starving for, for food. And his brother has cooked some great stew and it smells amazing. We were walking around last night. We were just so hungry, you know, in our context, whatever that means. And, and we just keep smelling things like, oh my gosh, it smells so good. So he has that when he walks in the room and he's like, give me some of that. And his brother makes him this terrible trade. He says, I'll give you a cup of stew if you give me your birthright. <laughs> Fair trade, you know. But he's convinced that this is a fair trade. And some of us in our life, we've made some bad trades. We've, we've seen where our physical, our flesh appetite has led us. It may have been last night. It may have been earlier this year. It may have been six years ago. It may have been 20 years ago. But you still remember that bad trade. And you might even still be paying for that in some way, shape, or form in the physical. Not in the spiritual, but in the physical. You may be paying for that bad trade emotionally and financially. You name it. We've made bad trades because of our appetite. His appetite drove him to make a bad trade. That's not the only thing that our flesh appetite will do. In fact, it'll cause us to lose everything that is valuable to us. And one of the things we're going to look at in a second is that it distorts our view of what's valuable. Your appetite will, he thought at that time that that stew was the most valuable. It was more valuable. The thing about a bad trade is we, you know, have a bad perception, a bad perspective on what is valuable. And and that's the thing about our flesh appetite. If you'll throw that next one up there, guys, our flesh appetite, it, it, it will cause us to lose the things that are most valuable to us. I'm reminded of the prodigal son. And, and that he goes to his dad, and it's another story of father and son. I think there's something big with that throughout Scripture and God just calling out to us as his children. And always this relationship of, of family, there's always that relationship as God's invited us into his family. Your flesh appetite will cause you to lose the things, and I think that happens with him to the point that he begins to lower his standards along the way. As we make worse trades, we slowly begin to devalue ourselves. And just piggybacking off of what we talked last week, I think this is maybe one of the biggest things for us that are, are struggling or trying to fill our appetites, our physical appetite, appetites, appetites, making up words up here. Pardon me, don't mind if I do. <laughs> our appetites is because we've devalued ourselves over time. And, and, and we have not given ourselves the value that Christ gives us. We've given ourselves the value that, that other people have said about us when we were in elementary school, or that we heard family members say to us that you're, you're worthless, you're nothing. Lots of other diverse language about who you are. And that value has caused you to lose things that are most important to you, like it happened with the prodigal son. He, he, he slapped his dad in the face said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And he went running, spending, you know, filling up his appetites to get whatever he wanted. And then at some point, he's beginning to eat pig slop, and that looks good to him. He's lowered. He's devalued himself. He's spent it all. His fleshly appetites have led him to this place. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about some of us is that we claim to be Christian, like it's on our Facebook about section, but we're hedonist. 
We pursue pleasure, and that's the only thing that matters to us. Whatever will fill our stomach for a moment, we're hedonists. And so I hate to break that new do- news to us, because some of us really, we claim to be Christians, but whatever feels good right now, uh, the whole idea of Gordon Gecko, greed is good. It, it, it's hedonism. It, whatever feels good, do it. And if we lived in a society like that, which we do right now, we see the consequences for it. And the truth of the matter is, you know, what we love about that is, is we think it works. It, it makes things easier, but it doesn't. It makes things chaotic and, and terrible. To Every time we look at the news, there's a mass shooting because the only time they can deal with that is to do whatever feels good for them at the moment. This is the society we live in. It's not. And then the last thing about our flesh appetite, this battle here, is that it'll satisfy, but it's only for a brief moment. At some point, that son came running home. And dad didn't just wait, but dad came running to him. He lifted up his cloak, which was like not something you did. Dad didn't, dad didn't lift up his cloak to show his legs, but dad lifts up his cloak and his honor and, and the things that people would say about him. And he goes running for his son. And you may be in that place that your appetites have led you astray, but you're in this place. And you just need to know that God's not just waiting like, okay, come, repay back what you spent. No, he's coming running to you. That's the God we serve. Have that perspective. Don't have this idea of repayment because it's a losing battle. Have this idea of gratitude and love that will motivate you to live a life that, where you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's, that's the next point here is this battle between the spirit and the flesh. Let's look at spiritual contentment on the other side of this contrast. Spiritual contentment in Jesus will birth hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, because it, it's not birthed out, out of trying to repay, but it's birthed out of love. I just, God, what can I do? I want to look more like you. And that's what it's birthed out of. Spiritual content will bring you to realize what is actually most valuable. Jesus said, seek the kingdom first and everything else is going to be added to you. Seek the kingdom first, everything else is going to be added. He's talking about physical things. Like, don't worry about the stuff. Seek me first. If you're looking to fill a void at some point, and, and we don't realize it, but we all do, including the guy that's standing on the stage right now, we all do this. There's, for all of us, there's a battle between our spirit and our flesh, but it'll bring us to realize what is most valuable. I love the text in Psalm 37, 4, that, that said, uh, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself. So it's kind of like the same thing of seek the kingdom first, but the psalmist said it in this way, delight yourself. I, I love that word delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Like enjoy your relationship. Enjoy your relationship with Jesus. Why, why wouldn't? Why wouldn't you? I think it might have something to do with our perspective. It might have something to do with our contentment in Jesus, our gratitude towards him. And, and it'll bring us to realize, because that the second half of that scripture is delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In fact, I, I think that many times we get excited about that verse because we think that means like Jesus is just going like to hook us up with you know, the stretch hummer that we want, if somebody wants that. Not me, but if you want that, whatever like, that thing is, we think that like, that's what's coming to us because we delight ourselves in the Lord. But in fact, when you come into relationship with Jesus, he changes those things. And there's things that are far deeper than what you've ever been able to comprehend. You've ever been able to put into words your desires for life and career and family, but Jesus knows deeper than, than we will ever know. And when you delight yourself in him, he gives you clarity on those things and allows you to receive those things that are deeper than what we can even comprehend, those desires of our heart that you've probably never spoken to anybody or a very few in your life. And as you delight yourself in him, as you just begin to enjoy this relationship, he transforms us to be more grateful, generous, and gentle 
And the, the greatest thing about spiritual contentment is that it satisfies fully. I'm reminded of when uh, in John chapter 4 where Jesus is meeting a Samaritan woman. Again, this picture of putting honor aside. Jesus is a rabbi and he's meeting with a woman who's had a lot of husbands. Uh, and now she's living with a guy that's not her husband. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows it. And so it's a woman who's probably pursued pleasure, jumped from this guy to that guy, seeking some fulfillment from them. And Jesus knows this, and she's out at noon because it's the hottest time of the day. No other women will be there to badmouth her. She's out there in the middle of the day, and Jesus meets her. He goes a route that is probably not the safest route for him to go, but he goes. And there he finds himself, and he begins to converse and talk to her, reveal all these things about, and he says, look, I can give you water that you won't have to fetch. I'll give you living water. I'll give you living water that will never run dry, that will never, never run out. And some of us, our appetites, we've been running the race. We've been trying to avoid people. We've been trying to, to fulfill these desires with people, with things. We've been going to the well in the heat of the day, struggling through this life. And Jesus is just like, I've got, I've got a drink that's way better. Like, I, I've got a cup that, that will not run dry, that will satisfy fully. And that's what spiritual contentment does. And it's powerful. It's powerful when we grab a hold that this battle, because I think because we understand this battle, we, we won't retreat back into, in, into our, our old kind of selfish desires. I, I think at times we will, but I think understanding is the key to living truth. I think wisdom is the key to, to beginning to, in community, to live those things out, you know. Um, and so I think that's a big element of it. I want to look at one more text, and then, uh, and then I'm going to begin to wrap up. Proverbs chapter 11, we see this really cool, cool verse that kind of puts all this in light here. Proverbs chapter 11, two verses here. Proverb, wisdom that's coming out of this. One person gives freely, yet he gains even more. Another withholds unduly or unjustly, but comes to poverty. Let's look at that for just a second. One gives freely, yet he gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but it comes to poverty. Let's look at 25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will also be refreshed. As we see this gratitude in our perspective, we know that God is our provision, that the strength that comes in the learning to be content, that God refreshes those who refresh others. You mean to tell me that if I pour out, I'm going to have more? Yeah, I actually think that's what this is saying. A generous person will prosper. And God's going to give us more as we pour more out. Because here's how we approach our life is with closed fist. And the thing about closed fist is we think it's a safer route. But let me remind you of this. God's economy is not our economy. Thank God. His value doesn't decrease. God's economy is not our economy. And as, as more as we close our fists and our thinking, the safest route to go is to keep this. But as soon as we open our hands, not only does something go out, but there's an opportunity for something to come in. We're able to receive. And we don't give to receive, but the principle of God's economy is still true. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That didn't come from like some wise, that was, that's the Bible. A lot of these things that we think is like good grandma wisdom, which is good. It did, grandma was saying it. Grandma was living it, more importantly. Um, but it came from the Bible. 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is where it comes from. As we open our hands, God has an opportunity to bless us. That's how God, God's economy works. And I know some of us, we're dealing with this in, in very different ways. Some of us, all we can think about is our appetites that have led us to devalue ourselves and to make bad trades and the price we've been paying for. That's all we can get on our brain. Some of us are thinking about Christmas shopping right now and what this means about that. Like, what is he asking me to do? And, and so here's the big idea. Is that true gratitude births true generosity. And I think that's what it means for us to be the church. Because we found a people in the early church in the Acts that they weren't rich. They weren't rich. But they gave everything they had. They, they gave, they shared things, they had everything in common. And all I'm asking is, open your hands today. Open your hands today. Open your hands tomorrow. Open your hands Thursday, Friday. Open your hands and, and, and allow God to be generous to you in that. As you're generous, as you're grateful for what he's done for you, I want to give you just a few practical tips for opening our hands, becoming more grateful, and living this generous life that God's called us to. Very practical tips. You may want to jot these down or see what, what resonates with you. This one right here, go without on purpose. Go without on purpose. We can get anything we want right now if, if finances weren't in the way. Anything is available. And I think uh, Paul actually talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he talked about beating the body into submission. This is something that uh, many of us know as the spiritual discipline of fasting. It's going without food, going without certain uh, drink um, to just like water, basically. It's like true like fasting. There's another thing called the Daniel fast, where it's like fruits and vegetables, nuts type deal. But this is fasting and going without on purpose. And what he's saying, and there's, there's a couple of reasons for spiritual fasting, okay? And, and we'll have another conversation about that. But the one I want to highlight right now is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beating the body into submission. You're beating your appetite into submission. I mean, this is something that I'm, I'm living right now because I, I did like I gained some sympathy weight, <laughs> and I've been enjoying like some cookies like with my wife throughout, the, throughout her pregnancy, and right now I'm in a place, I've got to beat my body into submission. First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul was doing this, and this is what he was living out. It's, it, beats, it, it, beats the, uh, it curbs the appetite of the flesh. It curbs our, our, our need for more stuff that we think will satisfy that we find out will not satisfy. So the first thing is go without on purpose. The second thing is give one of your favorite things away. I love what Pastor Jesse said uh, a few weeks ago before he, he, um, he left us. In one of his last messages, he was talking about a girl he had met downtown, and she needed a coat. I guess it was a cold weekend in August or September or whatever, and, and she needed a coat. And so he's like, yeah, you know, I'll get you a coat. And he looks to his car. He's at a gas station, and he sees two coats in his, in his back seat, and they're like his two favorite coats. And he's like, Ugh. It's like, I wish I had other coats in here. He was just being honest about his, his thought process and he, as he sees these coats. And so he pulls them out and he's thinking, and he, and he asks her, which one do you want? Just, you know, and he's like, don't, don't say that one. And he looks at her and he's like, don't say that one either. <laughs> and so he's just, he's battling this. There's something about prying our hands, hands open to the things that we value most on this earth. I dare you to give one of your favorite things away. Maybe give it, give it away to a son or a daughter. Give it away to a family member, to someone on the street. It doesn't matter. Just, just give one of your favorite things away. This is going to help you pry those hands open, become more grateful for what God's already given you, and be more generous with what he, he'll continue to give you. Okay, there's a couple more of these, and then we're going to wrap up today. You can join us. 
Give one of your favorite things away. Next is buy something for someone that they actually need. And this may seem like kind of trivial in the list here, but buy something for uh, someone that they actually need. Well, and I'm not just talking about just family members, that too. We always like, well, what would they like the most? What would they, what would they want the most? But what do, they, what do they need the most? And I would even ask you to think outside of your family, maybe in this family, this church family, maybe in the street, maybe it's a coworker. I dare you to buy something for someone that they actually need. Uh, there, there was a time where we had a friend over, and she had broken her glasses that day, and she was a college student and uh, didn't have a lot of money. I knew that, and uh, she, she broke her glasses, and she was just talking about, oh my gosh, don't have money for this, what am I going to do? And then just at the end of the night, I just told Taryn, I'm like, they want to get her glasses. Like, I don't know how much they'll be, I, I haven't worn glasses, but I want to get her, I want to buy her glasses. And, and there was something incredibly fulfilling about the, the fulfillment that we're really searching for is not in getting more, but again, it's in, it's in giving more. I found just such, I felt so like excited about that. And I don't say that to brag like at all. But I say it to know this principle that the feeling and emotion that you felt before as you've given to someone, it is more blessed to give than receive. And the last one here is expose yourself to brokenness. And this might be the toughest one for you. The one that digs deeper than anything else is exposing yourself to brokenness. Because some of us live so high and tight that we don't see those that are genuinely in need. We live so locked into our own world, so locked into our hedonism is that we don't see those that Jesus came for. He said, I didn't come for the well, but I came for the sick. I came to bind up the brokenhearted. I want to encourage you to expose yourself to brokenness. Go home and look through the pictures of what's happening in the Philippines. I dare you. I dare you to just spend some time praying for the people of the Philippines. I dare you to expose yourself to pain in your own life and in far desperate, more desperate situations in our world because you'll begin to have a different perspective about what want is, what need is, and why it's important to open our hands. And I believe that God's transforming us in a lot of different ways through this text and through this series. But ultimately, I I pray and I hope that we would be more grateful families. Not because we said, hey, be more grateful. (laughs) I I probably said that to my kid, you need to be thankful. (laughs) Like that was going to work. He was going to be like, okay, dad, thanks. But I think exposing ourselves to brokenness, exposing ourselves and frying our hands open Really getting a pure perspective about what Jesus did sets this whole course of action from our motivation to our actions. It's transformational. And we always feel like Jesus is trying to get something out of us. We always feel like the church is trying to get something out of us. It's like the Bible is telling us to just take anything from us but that's not, the, that's not the gospel. The gospel is to get something to you. It's to get freedom to you. God's entire journey with people was to bring Israel, it was to be his children because he wanted them free. And he didn't want them to be free for a day or for 70 years or for 140 years. He wanted them to stay free. And that was the journey of God's people. And that is our journey here today that God wants you to be free. He wants you to be fulfilled. So I pray you'd find contentment in Jesus Christ.
spiritually the debt that he paid that we cannot repay, but we can be grateful for, and we can live a life of love and gratitude and generosity that he's called us to. I want to ask you to stand with me today. And there may be one of these things right here that you just need to write down and live out this week. These guys are going to lead us in worship on surrender, on really surrender. And I just want to, I want to press you to just engage with God on what it's going to look like for you to surrender this week, wholly and completely. Let's pray. God, thank you for your life-giving scripture. God, that is illuminating our hearts, God, to some of the depravity that we've experienced in our own lives. God, some of the pain, some of the suffering that we're going through is because of bad trades, God. It's because of a, a poor perspective, God. And I just pray that you would renew a pure perspective as we encounter the love, the grace, the family of God and the love that you bring, God. And I pray that we would not keep our hands closed, but we would, we would open our hands up. God, we'd pry these greedy fingers open in order to experience your love and grace more and more, God. Help us to make the moves we need to make this week, God. Help us to encourage each other in the faith by being grateful for one another and generous to one another.